Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's get over to um, Lisa Erickson right now, Senior VP and Co-Head of Public Markets, the Public Markets Group at U.S. Bank Wealth Management. Lisa, um, I wonder what you think as we look at inflation numbers that are either shockingly high, like the PPI number yesterday, or even higher than expected, like the CPI number today. Does that concern you? Well, absolutely, Matt. It's something that we're keeping an eye on. And while our base case is that some of those inflationary pressures do come down over the remainder of um, this year and into 2022, um, certainly the, the fact that we've got a pretty broad-based basket of goods that are contributing to the inflation number and the fact that it's taking some time for both the labor market and the supply chains to adjust is something that we want to keep our eyes on. Right. Since inflation is so broad-based, I'm wondering what concerns you the most. Energy is a really easy thing to point at and think about the ripple effects for, but are there places that are maybe less obvious that we should also be concerned about? Yeah. Well, I think to your point, it's it's really two things. So one is just the fact that it's really across a broader base. So while you have some areas like energy that can be more volatile over time. What you see is, you know, over the last few months is really looking at the basket of goods. It's not just some of the areas that historically can fluctuate some as much, but also some of the stickier types of uh, pricing that are increasing. So that really is a concern. And I think, um, you know, the other issue is how much that then begins to affect inflation expectations going forward. And as we look at it, what we see is that there are some elevation in inflation expectations over the next couple of years as a result. Um, but, you know, over the longer term, what we see is that those are trending down. So, again, um, you know, that's the other thing I think we really want to watch is not just where the basket goes right now, but how that's affecting the expectations going forward. What uh, do you expect in terms of the S&P 500 right now? Um, we're, I think, up about 25 26% year-to-date. Last year was a good 17% gain. The year before that was almost 30%. Do we, can we really move much further higher? Yeah, great question, Matt. Well, we're still optimistic on the U.S. equity market and the S&P 500. And the reason why is, you know, overall, if you look at it, we've got a pretty nice context despite what some of the worries we are talking about with respect to inflation. If you step back and look at the indicators underpinning growth, for example, you know, they're universally uh, strong, and we see the trend of movement of those indicators is continuing to be positive when we measure across a broad range. And, you know, that's also being reflected in corporate earnings. So as we all know, third quarter earnings reports came in very nicely, and that, again, was across the board as opposed to being limited to a couple of sectors. So you've got the fundamental support there for the market. I think to your point, you know, as we move into 2022, the question is really going to be, you know, how that continues to play out, you know, as some of the initial reopening spurt comes off and then 
again, as we've been talking about with the trajectory of what's going to happen with inflation. There's been so much talk about bubbles lately. I mean, all year, really. And then we've kept on charging higher. We, you know, Matt and I were looking at the screens, just the Rivian IPO today is set for a, a very healthy pop as it starts to trade. And so... Or uh, unhealthy, depending on how you look yeah, at it. Yeah, depending on... That, that was our big debate. Do you pop or not? <laughs> um, and so that's the thing. Are you worried about valuations? If everybody is so constructive here, at what point do you start to get concerns that things are worth so much more than they're actually earning? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, you know, valuations is something to keep an eye on. But as we look at it, I think just the current low level of interest rates really actually makes valuations in what we would call the high side of fair, but not excessive. So if you just look again at history and how much uh, you know, earnings yields are pricing over uh, where interest rates are now, we actually see that they're above average, meaning that uh, stocks are actually giving you a nice premium in terms of, of the potential return relative to fixed income um, compared to that spread historically. So, again, it's something we want to keep an eye on. But in an environment like today where, again, you see both the macro indicators as well as what's going on with corporate operations and earnings coming in very nicely, those valuations can be more easily justified. Lisa, great to get some time with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Lisa Erickson there, Senior VP and Co-Head of the Public Markets Group at U.S. Bank Wealth Management. Let's get over right now to David Katz, Chief Investment Officer and President of Matrix Asset Advisors. We've been talking a lot about inflation today, David, and we did see a higher print than anticipated um, on the CPI. What's your take? So short term, there's no question inflation has picked up to a very meaningful level. Uh, we don't think it's going to go away, but we do think it's going to trend lower starting in early 2022, and we think it'll get down to a manageable level. So we're looking for inflation to stabilize somewhere under like 3.5%. Uh, we don't think it's ultimately going to derail the financial markets, but it does mean that we do think bond rates should be going up, and, and the Fed's next move at, at some point uh, will be moving rates higher. So at this point in the cycle, how do you play the S&P 500. I mean, we're not seeing major losses here, even on its second day of declines after a very steady rally. What are you buying? How do you how do you deal with this for the rest of the year? So, so we've been pretty bullish about stocks this year. In light of the most recent run-up, we would not be throwing new money into the market, uh, basically because the market is pretty fully valued. However, there are a lot of very good businesses that haven't done nearly as well as the overall market that are selling it. 15 or less times earnings. And we think therein lies the opportunity. So we think you want to be selective. Lots of very good businesses out there. Um, you know, companies like an Amgen or a Becton Dickinson haven't done a lot, but the businesses are doing well. Very attractive valuations. Uh, Fiserv in the technology and financial space is a very strong uh, company. They have an activist involved, yet the stock is down for the year. We think that easily has like 20 or 30 percent upside. Uh, Zimmer is a um, knee and hip replacement company. They just had a fairly mediocre quarter. Part of it was because of the COVID pickup. As COVID comes under control again, we think it's a great reopening play. 
Um, so there are definitely opportunities out there, but we would not get involved with the things that are really hot. Uh, we don't think now is a great time to be throwing money at the uh, electric vehicle area or, or the battery area because we think well, a lot of those areas are very fully priced. Well, even with that said, you see Rivian today poised for a really healthy 50% pop if you could get syndicate i hope you got it <laughs> right i mean you know that those retail traders are also going to be loving that today you know how do you feel about a lot of these moonshot projects that are kind of happening in the world right now at the end of the day it does certainly seem like there's a whole generation of investors ready to jump on them so it's a little bit worrisome to us. The, that market has been exceptionally hot, and right now the electric vehicle car companies and batteries are assuming that everybody that's involved is going to be successful, and not only successful, but wildly successful. That's simply not going to be the case. So, yes, the stock's going to open up very richly. Uh, we think it's not going to be a great investment over the next one or two years because it's fully priced. We'd look at companies um, like Zoom, or Peloton that had all of this excitement a year ago. Those stocks are down by half to three quarters. Uh, we think it's not a great time to be speculative in the market right now. For the short term, it's going to feel good, but we really believe that ultimately the music's going to stop, and a lot of people are getting in, involved with companies that they're not paying attention to valuation, and they're going to get hurt. What about companies? I mean, for example, everyone's um, bid up Tesla to make it a trillion-dollar company, and meanwhile, uh, Ford Motor Company is worth $80 billion. You know, General Motors is worth $85 billion. Volkswagen, which has invested a ton into um, the electric business, is still only worth $140 billion. Do you like any of those legacy players? So, so that's a great point. Right now, Tesla sells for the exact same valuation as the rest of the entire automobile industry. Uh, and we just don't think that's sustainable on the Tesla side. Uh, in, in terms of the other companies, um, the question is, do you want to own an automobile company? Because the more electric vehicles any of these companies make, the less um, oil um, cars, you know, the regular combustion cars they're going to be selling. So that is a zero-sum game. In terms of the automobile industry, the one that we are most comfortable with right now is Toyota. Uh, we think they're going to be a winner in electric vehicles down the road and hybrid vehicles, and you're not paying a whole lot for it. Uh, but we think there are lots of other areas to make money in the market, and, and we're not spending a great deal of time on the auto sector. Bitcoin is at a record. Do you think that it's an inflation hedge? We don't. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're sort of old school, and old school hasn't been that helpful of late, but we like to have things on a fundamental basis. We like intrinsic value. And when you look at Bitcoin, there's not a lot of intrinsic value there. So uh, this is one that we're also pretty wary about. Uh, we don't think it ends well. Um, so we would not be putting money in. We, we do believe there are a lot of people that are throwing money in uh, simply because of fear of missing out. Everybody's talking about how wealthy they became. Uh, so they're throwing money in. And, and once that bubble bursts, we think it can go down a lot. And, and what we'd say is, look at what happened during the Internet bubble of uh, the late 90s. Uh, a number of the businesses simply went out of business, like an e-toys. Uh, but a number of great companies like Microsoft, Cisco, Intel, um, we're all about Amazon. a half to three quarters lower 10 years later. So when things stop, valuation matters. David, thanks so much for joining us. David Katz, President and Chief Investment Officer over at Matrix Asset Advisors.
Let me just quickly take a look at what we're seeing in terms of prices. Bitcoin trading up 1% and change, $783 up to 68519 just around the record high. We also have Ether trading or Ethereum. Um, I guess Ether is the, is the right way to call it. Trading up 1% and change, about $49 a coin to $48.49. Let's bring in someone who knows for sure, Mike McGlone, Senior Commodity Strategist with Bloomberg Intelligence. Um, I guess uh, these highs, what, what's behind this rise that we've seen? Is it just excess liquidity? Is it concern about inflation? Is it, um, has China, ha, have China and Jamie Dimon been trashing Bitcoin again? What's going on here, Mike? Hey, Matt. Uh, well, the, the, the key thing is it's actually much more simpler to that than that. It's all the above. It's one of those points now. It's November. We only have two months left in the year. There's a lot of cash on the side. Bitcoin's one of the best performing assets on the planet, and Ethereum is too. And it's um, got fundamental underpinnings that are increasing and improving. So I think that's what you're seeing now. Is typically this is the best time of year. It's at 68,000 right now. I think it's heading towards 100,000. The question is when. And the key I ask, the question I ask is what's going to keep it down? Now today was a key uh, key barometer too. That you know CPI printed higher than expected. Bitcoin was down on day and it popped right up. Gold was down and it popped up. You mentioned silver in an earlier segment popped up. But Bitcoin is, you know, it's the one with the VIG. It's a potential upside for the future. So I look at this as, you know, this is a market that's had a substantial correction. Demand and adoption are increasing. It's becoming part of every portfolio and supply is declining. What makes that go lower at this stage? It's pretty strong. And I don't see overbought indications yet. So it's interesting because while the Bitcoin, Ether, other coins are definitely up today, it's not everything, guys. She was down. <laughs> and that was one of the – I, I just wanted to mention it here because I don't think you're seeing everything move in lockstep necessarily anymore. Well, so, no, thanks for mentioning that. Shiba Inu is down, and that's a speculation machine that most of us hope will just get it over with and go by and go back just like Doge kind of went back. It's just a machine for speculation. And then you have pure infrastructure building in Bitcoin and Ethereum, and they're just making the world a better place. Shiba Inu is for speculators, clearly undisputable. And and then things like Ethereum, every single crypto dollar, the most widely traded crypto assets on the planet, most of them trade in Ethereum platforms. And then you have Bitcoin becoming global digital collateral. So to me, that's what's happening. The inflation hedge, I don't really think it's so much there yet. It will be when it gets to the higher plateau. I see Bitcoin and Ethereum right now in that price discovery stage, and it's just that time of year. Well, there's, oh boy, technicals are good, fundamentals are good. Where does it end up the year? That's kind of the key question we're all asking ourselves. What do you think about Binance? Um, uh, CZ is uh, pretty cool to interview. We have him on um, the network sometimes. He actually used to work at Bloomberg. Um, yeah. He's got to be one of the richest people in the world now. Yeah. And uh, he has his own coin. That's one of the biggest. <laughs> CZ is just an educational machine. Every time he speaks, I, sh I shut up and I listen. And the key thing I think he represents, Matt, is there's a lot of very, very wealthy young people in this space, and they have a major inclination to make the world a better place. Don't underestimate that. That's the key thing I got out of Bitcoin 2021. Everybody here wants to make the world a better place, and they have the facility, capacity, and money to do it. 
in this space. And now that the U.S. is countering China by accepting and um, properly regulating cryptos, they have a major platform. So to me, this is a bull market. The only question is when and where do you jump on? And I think that's what every money manager on the planet is saying, okay, I might as well get off zero. And I think that's what's happening. The greater risk is being on zero with allocations to cryptos and Bitcoin. Okay, help me out here, because this inflation hedge aspect of this, you know, crypto people, so many inherently, um, you know, skeptical of the Fed. Do you, can you poke a hole in the, the inflation hedge theory? Well, I, I think the key thing to know is look at is you can't hold gold anymore without having some um, Bitcoin and Ethereum in that bucket because Bitcoin's clearly replacing it. Now, as far as you measure inflation, it's usually currency debasement. But look at this month so far. On the month, Bitcoin's up about 10% right now. Gold's up about 4%. And, and crude oil is down 1%. I think by this time next year, the key, the bigger bigger risk will be deflationary trends. And I point that out clearly because it's measured on a 12-month basis. The Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, the Bloomberg Commodity Index just reached an all-time high 12 months from now. It's a real high bar to beat. So and you just measure on a 12-month basis. Deflationary trends will kick back in. The Fed, if also needs a little wobble in the stock market, you'll see those deflationary trends come back and the Fed will have to ease. And that's what Bitcoin is. It's no one's project, no one's liability, declining supply, increasing demand. Even gold has elasticity supply. Bitcoin doesn't have that. And people are understanding, whoa, okay, I might as well get some allocation to this. So the inflation argument, I think it's coming. But be wonderful if we get true inflation and real demand pull. Right now, to me, this is the kind of – when you hear headlines like this, that's where you expect to peak. A year from now – I fully predict we're going to have more problems with deflationary trends. What? Uh, when do we know that um, you know mom and pop, either retail uh, mom and pop or institutions have fully embraced crypto? Because these are, I think, two things we're still waiting for. Shanali and I spoke with a conservative fund manager earlier who is just not down to clown because he thinks there's too much volatility. Oh, absolutely. There'll be less volatility when there's greater depth and the market reaches a higher plateau. So that's one key thing. He's probably going to miss a big amount of appreciation. The answer to that question, Matt, is very simple. When we have wide dissemination of an ETFs or ETFs that track a broad index that tracks the crypto market, that's where we're going. It's a matter of time. The SEC knows that if they're truly out to protect investors, they need to approve an ETF that tracks a spot index attracts the spot markets, not, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum, an index. That's a proper, that's why we hate tr- most, almost everybody on the planet tracks stocks. You go through an ETF that tracks an index. We'll get there. It's going to be many years. There'll be many bumps on the road. But until then, I don't think we're going to have anything but a bull market that has dips. All right, Mike McGlone, thanks very much for joining us. Mike McGlone there, senior commodity strategist with Bloomberg Intelligence, talking to us about crypto. Bloomberg Opinion, informed perspectives, and expert data-driven commentary on breaking news. All right, time for Bloomberg Opinion. We have our debt markets columnist, Brian Chapata, in the studio today at the Interactive Brokers um, Complex inside 731 Lexington Avenue. The mothership, as we call it, he's writing about the Fed ignoring a key bubble risk for the stock market or Maybe, can I say bubbles plural, Brian? Sure. 
You can say that crypto. But they're not saying it. No, they they're, don't use the word bubble. No, I mean they don't say bubble. Uh, they didn't say it in May, even though they flagged uh, a lot of financial stability concerns. And the thing that they don't really talk about a lot is real yields. And that is something that you just see written about over and over, talked about over and over. You see real rates hit record lows, and there's basically no choice but to, to buy risky assets because your alternative is that you buy fixed income, you buy treasuries, and you get a negative inflation-adjusted yield. It doesn't seem worth it to a lot of people. Brian, what pops the bubble? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I think right now you're seeing inflation go up tremendously, uh, and you're seeing stocks barely off their, their all-time highs. So it's not clear what exactly happens. The Fed's reaction function right now is to just look through this inflation, keep, uh, keep their Fed funds rate at, rec at record lows. Um, it's at the lowest since the 1970s when you adjust it for inflation, uh, the Fed funds rate. So, so rates are, are staying really low, and it's going to be a question of whether the Fed uh, blinks, whether they flinch under political pressure, I think, uh, to, to do something to, to slow inflation down. Uh, next year is the crucial midterm elections, after all. The 70s were bad, by the way, Shanali. For those of you who weren't there, I'm going to remind you, that's when the Mustang turned from a boss muscle car into an embarrassment. Plus, we had incredible inflation. There were, uh, you know, people parked around the block waiting to get gasoline. Oil prices went nuts. And as Greg Jarrett was just saying, his mortgage was like 14 percent. Yeah, I mean, because the Fed had to raise rates, right? And now you get a mortgage for 3%, basically. So uh, nominal rates are still extremely low, and that does raise this risk that if you can't get anything in fixed income, uh, you have to go to the stock market. Uh, some of the statistics that I cited from the um, from the Fed's own data is that you look at people who are 65 to 74, even those 75 and older, and stock holdings have never before been such a core part of their portfolio because after a decade of near zero interest rates, uh, you just can't count on fixed income anymore, uh, mm. even e even if you're in retirement. Well, yeah, I, I mean the other thing about this too is that the market is already expecting some like they're they're, they're planning for rate hikes next year, right? That's what's the plan, right? But the thing is, what about this idea that Mary Daly had brought up to our own Mike McKee a little bit earlier? This idea that we're still in COVID, this is going to be transitory. I mean, that seems to be the parting line from most Fed officials. But how do you know that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things, um, I don't think this is spoiling anything because uh, I tweeted about it, but I do have a column coming out pretty soon. I mean, you look at um, this idea that uh, the inflation guy on Twitter um, basically came out and said, um, I'm looking for an outlier in this inflation data and I can't find one. And that's a scary thing. And the idea that it's just COVID and things scale, are just going to come out. Right? That's the scale, not the length. Yeah. I mean, I think the question is, is can you just blame used cars again? Um, some people might try to, but I think it's starting to feel as if there's more broad-based price pressure. And you look at the New York Fed statistics on consumer expectations for inflation, uh, three-year ex inflation expectations still at a series high, one-year expectations still going up, over 5% now. Um, so it's getting baked into the cake a little bit here uh, in terms of inflation expectations. The Fed has talked about how they wanted to get inflation expectations up because they want to be able to conduct monetary policy ab there. Above, above the zero lower bound, and they're there. <laughs> and yet we're still at zero. And so I think the question has to become, at a certain point, uh, why is zero the baseline for the Fed funds rate? And that all comes back to the real yields. Uh, when you see them so deeply negative, that's because the Fed funds rate is held at zero and, and not expected to go up. You know, real wage growth is even more of a problem because 
inflation is growing at a faster pace than wages are. So, you know, even if this is transitory, if it all stops at the same time, the stuff that I need is still cost is costing more than what I'm getting paid. And that's going to continue to increase unless they can turn it around. The problem that uh, that I have is I don't see what the Fed can do about inflation that's caused by supply constraints. Right, just Monetary like policy doesn't control. help. Right. I mean, the question ultimately has to be, is it the Fed's job to constrain demand, right? If you have demand at a super elevated level and supply is That's not what they want to do, there. right? That's the surgeon who declares his job a success because the patient is dead. In some ways, <laughs> yes. But in I don't know if I said that right. Well, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think I get it. I don't want to really think about surgeons killing anyone, yeah. but um, <laughs> but I but I, I think I get it. But the point is is if demand is running so hot, should the Fed cut back a little bit? And Fed Chair Jerome Powell said that current inflation is not at all consistent with price stability, and price stability is one of the Fed's mandates from Can Congress. I'm boring for just a second here. I mean, if you're a saver, you're getting decimated. Unless you're investing in Series I savings bonds, which are linked <laughs> to inflation and give a 7.12% interest rate, uh, which we, uh, which our wealth team wrote about recently. Well, how many people are actually doing that? Not a lot. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm coming down to also, right? If you are in our generation, if you're a millennial or Gen Z, and interest rates are this low, and even with the rate hike, they're not, you know, you're not going to get a 14% mortgage anytime soon. So what... What to make of that, of this new environment? Yeah, I mean, that's goes back to the stock. You know, you want to call it a bubble, you don't want to call it a bubble, but ultimately, more people are invested in stocks than ever before. And the reason why seems to be because there is no alternative, to use the, the often used Tina. Tina phrase, right? I mean, but when, when it comes down to it, if the Fed is concerned about elevated asset prices, elevated stock prices, it's because its policies have pushed people into those various instruments. And as a result, its policy is also dictated by the stock market to a greater extent. You saw what happened in 2018. There was a big decline at the end of the year, and Powell pivoted in January 2019 immediately and went to rate cuts. Um, so there is this feeling of the push and pull, and it feels tenuous, but people don't really know what else they can do. And so you've got this situation that feels... Uh, feels tenuous, um, and there's really no other way to put it. All right, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Brian Japata there writes for Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.